back in the studio once again, ladies and gentlemen, for the Grow With Tim podcast. I'm Jay Du, and this is Tim, and we're now talking with excellent entrepreneur, top-tier type of guy, Eric Weir. Here we go. Welcome back. We're in the studio here with the Grow With Tim podcast, and we have a guest. If you're looking at us out there, you can see that he is ready to roll. He's he's fully red, ready to roll right here <laughs> compared to the blue we normally have. So, Tim, tell us and introduce our audience to who we have in studio here and we're, who we're welcoming. Yeah, so Eric Weir, entrepreneur, wealth manager, real estate investor extraordinaire. Uh, I think I'm just scratching the surface there, Eric. But uh, Eric and I met on the way to a mutual friend's wedding. Eric was kind enough to invite me on a on his private jet, and so instead of uh, you know a two day trip on commercial, we went up and back in a few hours and got to uh, celebrate with our friend. And along the way, I was able to ask him all kinds of questions, and I've personally benefited enormously. I, I literally have I. I I can name specific pieces of advice, some of which I've shared on this podcast oh, what, that I took if, from that flight. Subsequent to that, we've had breakfast a couple times. That's and right. again, at a fairly challenging time in a big negotiation, you came to my aid and said, well, here." and it was at the time, once you said it, I was like, well, that was obvious, but it ne never had occurred to me until, <laughs> and it was really valuable. So anyway, Eric has been very beneficial to me personally. Uh, another big thinker that you've noticed in this, uh, really the theme of this podcast is how do you grow? A lot of it is thinking bigger. And Eric's a guy that has has thought big and has done big things. And I'm excited mm -hmm. to have him here today uh, to join us for another episode. Yeah, now I'm excited Thanks, because Trevor. there are several life lessons that I'm trying to glean from you that I know actually came from this. Guy. That's right. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Very good. So Eric, we appreciate you being here, my friend. And uh, well, it's my honor to be here. Thank you. Yes, sir. Now I've heard things about your wealth management. I've heard about real estate deals, and I keep hearing about these jets. But, you know, how do you describe yourself? Why don't we let you say a few words? You know, I'm a curious person. I guess I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I heard that term maybe two years ago. So I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm always starting a business or an endeavor. Uh, I'm very curious, and I, and I try to find things that I enjoy doing and get clarity on, on how to proceed and then find people along the way to, to help to, to, to make the vision come into pass. So really break it down if it's, if it's financing movies we've been involved in over 50 uh, faith-based family films if it's building uh, real estate or developing top golfs or if it's whatever it happens to be um, you have to get get to a clear vision understand where you want to end up and then be uh, reflective to know wh where you can contribute and help and then where also you need, need other people to, to pull on the rope with you that have a, a different skill than you have now, speaking of the other people, right before I hit record here and we started this podcast episode, Tim was talking about his assistants and how right. he has some of his team. So who is actually behind all of your work? There's no way you're doing all this. So who's behind <laughs> no yours? Near. No, yeah. no, 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 no. So so it just depends on the opportunity. So if it was media, I worked with WTA, I actually owned a piece of WTA media. And they were later sold to, to Caleb a few years ago. And with that, one of my expertise is structure and capital. So I try to bring, I tell people I bring, I bring resources to resourcefulness, mm. or I bring uh, capital to competency. Mm. And so if someone has a great idea or a brilliant business plan, oftentimes they're usually are lacking capital, and sometimes they're, 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 they're lacking a little bit of clarity and structure. So those are things I can help them with, and then I, they end up using their resources, their connections, their, 
their expertise and the capital that they were missing, like oftentimes can bring into their life to, to, to help and partner with them and grow the business. So in media, I knew nothing about media. I was on a, a trip making a film in the Amazon called Into the Amazon in 2011. And I set a goal, uh, as I do every, every year at the end of the year, and it was to make a massive impact for the kingdom of Christ in a written word, spoken word, uh, and, and film as a, as, a, as, a, as a participant or financier. And at that point, I didn't know anybody who had written a book since I've written a book. didn't know anybody who was involved in movies and since I've met a lot of people involved in that. But that was the goal. And then over time, I ended up meeting Bill Reeves and bought into that, to that company, helped them with, with raising capital. And it became one of the larger marketing firms for part of, uh, of media. Tell us about some of the films you worked on. I want to not get too sidetracked too fast. I want to get the big picture. But just so that our listeners kind of have an idea of a, a peg, uh, what's one or two films that you've worked on that they might recognize? So um, there, there are a number of them. Um, one of the more, more recent, more uh, mainstream would be the, the film about Mr. Mr. Rogers, his mm-hmm. life. That was, that was a big one. Uh, I can only imagine was when we, we helped with marketing. Uh, one we financed, and I was executive producer, was called Run the Race with Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. That was one of his movies. I can only imagine what was, again, with marketing. So it just, it just depends on, on our role, but the, the, those are a, a few of the, of the names. Yeah, very cool. I want to take one other side trip here. You mentioned bringing capital to competency. competency. Mm-hmm. I love that. I've heard you tell stories before of helping people that maybe had a cool opportunity or uh, a great idea, mm-hmm. but they didn't know how to fund it. Uh, right. Can you tell us a story of how you've done that? I'm sure you've got dozens of them. I do. I tell you, uh, a lot of people are really concerned now about a recession and fear. But in 2008 or nine, we were in the mire, right. Right. and I was speaking at a conference about small businesses and, and setting big goals. And one of the attendees literally that morning had his car repossessed and gave his keys back to the bank. They were going to auction, auction the house off. And he was very upset, and he came into the group and kind of a conversation beforehand. And I go, would you mind if I used you as a, an example? We'll take your life. You're starting at the bottom. Was no, Congratulations. It doesn't get worse than this. Right. It's only better. Tomorrow's a better right, day. Let's right. figure it out. And he's like, yeah, I guess I could do that. And Unless I said, he was also ugly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Look, or he gets sick. It always get worse. Right? Yeah, yeah, it, it always get, get worse. Yeah. Yeah, it can't get right. worse. That's true. So uh, I asked him, I said, and I always like to start with blue sky. If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you dare to do? Hmm. And most people stop themselves from dreaming by their own limiting thoughts. So, but he said, what do you mean, Eric? Was it, what are you good at? He goes, I, I like real estate. I said, well, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? He said, in my town in North Carolina, along a river, there was an old textile mill. And I'm like, okay, well, what would you do? He said, I would buy it. And I said, why would you buy an old textile mill? Mm-hmm. He said, well, inside the textile mill, they're asking a million and a half dollars for it. And I said, well, it seems like for 14 acres on a river, it seems like a nice, fair price. He goes, well, it's better than that. And I said, how so? They have copper, they have old brick, and they have wood from the early 1900s that's beautiful called heart pine. Wow. He said, well, the sum of the parts greatly exceed the asking price. I said, okay, why don't you buy it? And he goes, I don't have any money. You heard it. I just, I just went bankrupt. Right, right. I go, well, make an offer. What will they take? He said, well, it's been on the market for several years, and the company's wanted it off their books, so I think they'll take less. What do you think I should do? I said, offer $500,000. He goes, what? That's a third of what they're asking. Just offer it and offer to close right away, all cash, no contingencies. He goes, I don't have all cash. I said, just do it. If you have a clear enough vision, okay. this will work. So he goes, he makes an offer, and they at first they thought about it, and they came back and goes, yes, we'll take it under one condition. 
you close within 30 days. By the end of December, we are, are the deals off. He goes, now we've got me in too, Eric. <laughs> right. Now I've got to buy this property. I have no money down. And I'm like, well, didn't you say the copper was worth more, the brick was worth more? Yeah, I did say that. I said, well, go to the copper guy, have him estimate the value of the copper, same with the brick, same with the wood. And they did, and it was like $3 million. And I said, well, have them give you a non-refundable deposit that is only from one condition. You don't close on the property. And put it in an attorney's escrow account so it's not at risk. So that you know, if, if it doesn't close, they get it back, but they get a deal on the copper, the deal on the brick, a deal on the wood. It's okay, I'll do that. So you ended up with seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in deposits. Deposits, I love it. To buy a building for five hundred thousand dollars. So, but now he's like, oh, I can't wait for the end of the year to come fast enough. Right, I mean, right. gets yeah. my check. I'm making nothing, right? So he did all that, and at closing, he pay, he bought the property and walked personally with a quarter of a million dollars. Then he's like, it just gets better because then the people come back and they extract the copper, they extract the wood and the brick, and then he made more than a million dollars on top of that. And then better still, he ended up owning 14 acres on a river wow. in, in, in North Carolina, which of course experienced growth since 2008 or nine. And so then he went on and did, and did, he's done it more than a dozen times since that time. But the point is, is if you have clarity of direction, you don't need to worry about capital. You don't need to worry about, you know, it just, it, you, you will attract it to you. You'll find the people, you'll have the clarity, you'll have the process. And, and that's where I'm saying, I try to provide resources to resourcefulness. That's what that was. Resourcefulness with clarity always finds capital. I love it. I love it. Eric, that brings me to a question I think about from time to time. I used to think as a very young entrepreneur that ideas were everything. And that if you just had a good enough idea, you could be successful. Mm -hmm. And I was very uh, stingy with my ideas. Like I didn't want to share an idea without, you know, this big NDA and all of this. Over time, I I've changed my tune a little bit. And I've thought that, well, <laughs> ideas aren't the hard part. Actually, execution <clears throat> is the yeah. hard part. And But over time, I've, I've figured out maybe how to use teamwork and collaboration and strategic partnerships. And I've, I've gotten better at the, the execution piece. And then I got to the point where, well, resources are really the problem because I'm not independently wealthy and I don't have, you know, real deep pockets. And so capital is the problem. Um, although I hear people like you say, actually, if you're resourceful and you've got a great opportunity, capital is not so hard. So what do you say about that? What What's the hard part? Is it the idea? Is it the execution? Is it the capital or some combination thereof? Dreams without plans are fantasies. Mm-hmm. And I think people, the, the IDA, they get to the fantasy. This is a great idea. This is a good invention. This is something. But they don't put wheels underneath it. And the hardest distance, imagine we're running a marathon, and it's 26 miles, right? The hardest part is the last mile. You know, notice the true competitors go faster, have a faster average speed the last mile than they did the first 25. Most people slow down toward the finish line. It's that last little bit. So it's getting the idea. And it's, then it's getting the, the, the goals and the clarity and the next steps. And I try to start with what's the major thing I'm trying to accomplish today? And then I break that into the steps, and I do it every day. And that, that incremental change makes a big difference. And then once you get, you get clarity, finding resources is, is, is really easy. And people, oh, God, it's impossible. I'm like, it's not. It's just not. I know quite a few people who become very wealthy and they're always looking for competence and looking to allocate capital. I mean, we're looking now that things are scary. Banks, three or four banks have fallen. Right, I mean, right. Things aren't working out. Things are hard. And how many times have you heard about 
the wealth that was created during the Great Recession, the wealth was created in the Great Depression. The wealth was created when these things go wrong. So there are always going to be dislocations. In that lies the opportunity. And the cool head that's thoughtful, uh, it always prevails. So if, if one of our listeners today has a great idea, they have a great plan, they, they've got a mill before them and they know that they can triple their money or whatever, but they don't know how to raise capital. I, it's beyond the scope of you know one podcast episode to get into the details. But in a nutshell, how would you go about raising money for a great idea? There are three ways. Number one, if I had no capital and, and I just had a great idea, I'd find somebody who's done it before and volunteer to mentor for them for free mm. as a mentee. Right? Yeah. Would you mentor me or can I volunteer? Uh, an intern may be a good yeah. word for that. So, so basically trade my labor and my time. I'm going to come alongside you even though I don't have money to offer. I'll work for free. I'll learn from you, and, and that value is going to exceed what I'm giving up. Exactly. Okay. Second thing I'd I, I like to do is you talk to people who may believe in you, may have family members or somebody around your, your circle, and, and that's a great way to do. The third thing I do is then if I'm not mentoring for, or, or being an intern, I find people who have been successful – and I'm saying, here's my dream. Knowing what you now know, how would you pursue that? What are things you would do? And sometimes you're saying, like, well, I like it. Mm-hmm. There was somebody I know of locally who had needed $800 to get something to make cookies. And $800 to them may have well have been $10 million. It just didn't sure. matter. But they could say, with well, this $800, I could accomplish this. And it's amazing. And I've seen people write amazingly ginormous checks when, when they look at somebody and say, I think this person can pull it off. I understand what they're asking for. I understand the return. So let, let so let's do it. So it's really being able to to think of all the possible outcomes, getting the clarity, and and making the ask and making yourself available, and then being humble about it. Really, because I, I was my mom always said growing up, there son, there are two types of people: those who are humble, and those who are soon to be humble. <laughs> there you go. That's so before you were kind of giving the advice on some of these angles in terms of capital allocation and resources, what were maybe was one of the big business booms that you had in your life before you were able to maybe branch out for the serial part of the entrepreneurship? Mm-hmm. What was kind of the core and how did you get involved with, you know what, I really think I'm onto something and can provide that type of service and mentorship for people. Yeah, there's so many ways. I mean, we go all the way back to the very first one, the lemonade stand. Everybody's okay. got a lemonade stand store. Right. So I had a car wreck when I was five. It's 1972. Back well, you then, shouldn't have been driving. That's right. <laughs> that, that's true. That's a good well, point. Right. That's, that's, that's a different a, podcast. That's a different podcast, yeah. yeah. But when I went to the speech therapist, they, they you know, with my parents in the room, and in my mind's eye, my legs are dangling off the side of the chair, and they were very direct. They said, Eric, life is going to be hard for you. You're going to want to quit. Every conversation is going to be a struggle. Meeting someone new is going to be hard. Let me fill in the blank here. Because before the accident, you were fine. But after, you had a severe stutter. Is that right? It would take me two days to say my name. Got it. So you were were speaking well and properly prior to this? And this is kind of a speech issue? It was a terrible speech issue. Yeah, and I got picked on horribly. And um, physically, okay, so now, other, outside of that, physically, you're strong. Outside, but, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. So okay. basically, it's a brain trauma from hitting the Yeah. Car. Okay. And it's a, just altered my pathways. Yeah. So I okay. couldn't process. Uh, so a therapist tells you, Eric, life's going to be really difficult. Right. 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 And and you know, and and they and they said, however, if you push through obstacles, every conversation is going to be a struggle. Every new friendship, everything's going to be hard. If you can push through that continually, you'll be so used to fighting things, overcoming obstacles, anything will become easy. Mm. 
Wow. wow. That's like, wow, that's a, not what you want to hear at five years yeah, old, right? Right. But my parents, to their credit, did say, oh, they don't know anything. Let's get somebody else. And, oh, you're fantastic. It, it's it's going to be hard. Life's going to be hard for you, Eric. It's going to mm. be tough. So they started a lemonade stand for me that first day. And I made a sign, lemonade 50 cents. And when you stutter, Fs are impossible to say. <laughs> yeah. E's and W's are hard. I'm Eric Weir with 50 cent lemonade. So it was a rough day. <laughs> so they said, the cars would pull up. And, you know, I'm a little blonde kid. I'd point. He said, how much is lemonade? And I'd point to the sign thinking, hey, I'm not going to have to communicate with these people, right? They'd always ask, how much is a lemonade? And you're like, 50 cents, right? Yeah. And then that interaction of them hearing me stutter, they, they would tip me. Mm. So I never got 50 cents. I got a dollar or $5. And that, that night, my father came home, and he goes, well, how'd you do? I said, I made $82 selling lemonade. He goes, I'm right. not sure I made that. Yeah. The next day, they were home, and I took entrepreneurial initiatives, my first on my own. And I set up a lemonade stand again and had a banner day. And they come home, they're looking for the, the, the glass where they're looking, you know, in the washer, I mean, the dishwasher, and nothing was there. And they said, where, where are the glass? I, said, I sold them all. <laughs> so my second most important business tip was cost of goods sold. <laughs> so, so I had to buy yeah. the glass. Cost of goods yeah. sold yeah. zero that first you know, other, right. other than that, big ones were realizing that Topgolf, from a more recent one, last five years, was I thought was a big deal. I didn't with my son. And then I learned through a gentleman I know who sold land at Topgolf that they'd lost their finance partner. Somebody who would basically buy the land, give capital to build the building, and Topgolf would lease it. So their company would lease it. Think of it as and like... these are company-owned stores or are they franchises? Or? They're company-owned stores. But they lease the land. But they lease the land in okay. the building. So think okay. of it as like a Walgreens. Walgreens doesn't own their buildings usually. Right. They they lease it or you know, Cracker, you know, Cracker Barrel. Or, right. Starbucks at an end cap at a retail center. They don't own it. Yeah, It's the same thing. So right. the company runs it, but they don't own it. So I'm like, wow, that's huge. So how many are they building? They're building 10 a year. And I realized that that's, you know, 50 million times 10. That's a big number. It's $500 million a year of growth. So I decided to look up who the owner was or who the chairman of the board. I go meet him in Las Vegas, bring my son. And I made him, hi, I'm Eric. We'd like to meet you. And he, I said, I'd like to be your the worldwide exclusive financier of Top." He's like, wow, that's a big ask. He mm -hmm. goes, and he's like, how much money do you have now? And I'm like, as of now, I don't even have a dollar. And he started, he's like, I like you. He started laughing. <laughs> he goes, wow. And I said, well, you know, I've partnered with people in the, in the before and I've raised capital. But if I had ex exclusivity, I could go faster, further. And anyone in the world who wanted to be involved with Taco had to come through me. And you can control your brand, much like the De Beers family has controlled the, the, the availability diamonds. of diamonds forever. Yeah, right. yeah. And he's like, well, that's an interesting perspective. You need to meet the board. This is not my decision. So that I went to meet the board, and I kind of had the same pitch. Fantastic people, very business-focused and family and entertainment-focused. Kind of did the same thing, and they laughed. And the same guy, well, I like that. And then, uh, you know, that didn't happen, but I got one. It did Miami Durown. It wasn't, of course, it wasn't just me. I have partners, people helped me. And then the next one was Far Texas, and then Seattle, and then Boston, and Tampa, St. Pete. And then I kept asking, how can I go internationally? And they introduced me to the international partners, kind of the same thing. I flew over to Europe, met a couple of groups, and, and I said, what if you could focus on managing, finding sites, and, and operating a business, and you never had to worry about capital to build? in Vienna, in Milan, in Oberhausen. That'd be fantastic. And I said, I would like to propose that. So we partnered, and I provide capital, and they provide process and structure. And that's kind of what I've done. Now, I don't have enough capital for that. So then I have to take their vision, their structure, their process, and they find capital. It says, hey, that makes sense. I understand how this could be the next McDonald's, or this could be that. 
and you and you go forward in business. And in business, if you do a hundred things, not all hundred are going to work, right? You know, so you have to realize you're going to have setbacks, you're going to fail, you're going to start down one path and do, go through another. And our biggest setback was called COVID. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to do an entertainment venue right. in Europe with mask mandates. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, it, we and we were told to no 100 consecutive times by bank financing. And ultimately, we found somebody. And then now, the one we have in Europe in Oberhausen, Germany, is one of the top performing top golfs in the world. And it was a persistence to push through. And we, we just were resolved. It's kind of like we burn the boats on the on the shoreline and we're, we're going to win and i think that's where people they quit so often is they focus on the pain they focus on the no they focus on other people supporting them. they focus on all these things have to happen but if you have clarity and purpose and energy and a belief you can succeed you can overcome just about every obstacle because you don't need to be externally motivated so i want to i want to back up there for a second i think i heard you say that you got over a hundred no's on that location or that yeah, that vision correct exactly right yes okay in a row and by the most polite people swiss bankers mm-hmm. uh-huh. ter- you almost felt bad for them i'm yeah. terribly sorry yeah. we love it but we're unable to finance at this time covid pandemic or they didn't understand the concept or any myriad of excuses you know and, so and, and those same people are not coming back they whoa right. we want in right, right. so right. it's it's so how common is that? Like in your, oh. you've achieved some really phenomenal successes. Is it normal to go through a hundred no's before you get to a yes? hundred no's is a record for me because okay. it wasn't even like, it was like, no, it was like, um, that is a personal best. You know, hopefully I don't break that again. <laughs> I had somebody tell me, that's a big problem. Goes, don't worry. It says every problem prepares you for an even bigger problem. <laughs> I'm like, well, thanks for that. Right? It's yeah. kind of true though. Um, but it was a it was a personal high, and I don't I mean and, and and but it made the victory that much sweeter. On yeah. the other side, like, man, that was it. You know, we're going to do this, and then you feel, hey, we're going to move ahead. And then hey, I got another idea. It's called global recession, <laughs> increase in right. interest rate, whatever it is. There's always something. But that was it. I've never had a success, personally speaking, that was easy. Mm. Everything's hard, and I think people try to say, hey, you, fo- you know, focus on the end result. I don't focus on the pain. But there is pain. There is there are setbacks. There are getting up early. There are hairy nose. There are pushing through things. There, and and it's just life. And if you if you go into it expecting it to be hard, but have expecting to have resolve, it makes all the difference in the world. The problem is people go in expecting it to be easy. Right. It's easy to lose ten pounds. No, it's not. Right. It's hard. Yeah. Right. You know? But what's important is the resolve to make the decision. You're going to do it before you get into all those micro decisions about 100%. do I still stick with it now that it's more difficult than I realized? 100%. Yeah, okay. I think most of the businesses that J.D. and I have been involved in, we've bootstrapped. We figured out ways to start small and kind of grow organically. But a couple of years ago, I tried to raise a couple million dollars to buy a software company. It was my first real significant effort at raising money. And I think after about, I don't know, a dozen or so banks turning me down, not just bank, I looked at several different options. After a dozen or so, I started to conclude, wow, apparently this idea isn't as good as I thought it was or this opportunity because nobody else can see it. And I was about to give up. And then I heard, I don't think it was you, it might have been you, somebody said, oh yeah, I mean, I usually get 20 or 30 no's when I'm trying to raise money first. And that sort of power, and we, we ultimately succeeded but I, I was feeling really bad, like, man, something must be wrong with me that I've got oh, yeah. all these no's. But that's that's kind of normal I'm here. It's so normal. For One of our big no's is what if Topgolf doesn't work, what would you do? 
And then we were like him and ha. And then our partners in Europe actually had bids and converted in their mind to a, a, a limited service hotel with 102 rooms. Mm-hmm. Here's your answer. And I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. So the nose will inform you. You know, are you moving too fast? Is it? Is it? Are they just unsophisticated? Are you unsophisticated? Or did you overlook something? So that my nose always lead to an FAQ, frequently asked questions like. What happens if interest rates rise? What happens if inflation? Yeah. What happens if a global pandemic? And then you just anticipate all the questions. They become they become part of, of you. you yeah. It shows you think through things through. And you may get enough no's, and not that everything you start, you finish. You may say, well, this is great. I'm getting a lot of, I'm glad I've asked people, and they're telling us it's a bad idea. It might just be a bad idea, right? So you've got to leave room for that. And there's some, some things I love. So make allowance for other people's doubts, but keep your confidence. Mm. I like at the same time. Yeah. Eric, just real quickly, I want to touch on interest rates. Let's not get into the weeds, but Mm -hmm. a guy like you, I'm sure has a lot of debt. Like Mm -hmm. growth is expensive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think growing up, I was taught that debt is a bad thing and you don't use credit cards. And and I still believe that strongly. I don't want to buy, I don't want to have consumer debt on depreciating assets, but I love debt on an asset that's making me money because I can Mm -hmm. grow faster further. Um, What's been the impact of today's interest rate environment for you and others that you work with? That has to have changed the game. One hundred percent. I think the I think the impact hasn't fully been felt, and maybe even partially felt so far on, on different asset classes. So, if you look at office, which I own some office, and, and office is has uh, changed a lot. People are working from home, or they're utilizing assets differently. And you have big cities like San Francisco's forty percent vacant for office, L.A., Chicago. So there are areas that are really impacted. And depending if you're trying to source funds, banks may take a national view, not a local view. Right. And that means, hey, from the top, we're not going to do any more office. So that would limit, the office would be hurt. That same bank may say, I love elder care. Mm-hmm. Or I really like self-storage. I really like, you know, owner-occupied office space. So it'll, it'll, it'll affect different areas. And, but it'll have a big, it'll have a big impact. I saw a 400,000 square foot office building in Houston that had a $500 million loan on it 10 years ago and now has a $60 million loan on it. And the banker told me I could buy it for 14 million. Wow. And the replacement cost would probably be four or $500 million. easily. So, so that's a kind of, you know, nobody wants it because it's low ceilings. It has other, other issues, right? So real estate's location, location, location. However, uh, cash or debt is the oxygen of real estate. And when there were times like when I did, a, I had a project not work out in California where they just changed the rules on residential housing for a period of time and the market goes away. But if they, but you know, usually those are, are short lived, but they, they do happen. Uh, I'm a big believer in real estate long term. It's a fantastic asset class, but there, there are setbacks along, along the way. And the, picking the right location does make a difference. <coughs> Yeah. Now, Eric, when you got your first success in this lemonade stand now, you've got a lot of wisdom that keeps coming down the pike. But normally for an entrepreneur, they kind of transition maybe in or out of school to something that is not as big and bold. Maybe they say, you know what, I'm going to study this. I'm going to go find my path underneath someone else in my first business or operation. And a lot of those fail. They kind of go backwards and there's more lessons to be learned. So I want to know. After your 80-plus bucks in the first day of a lemonade stand, you know, where did you next land maybe as a young man? What were you yeah, doing? I got it. I started making leather belts and uh, 
bracelets. And I talked my father into like buying the supplies. So I had no cost. He'd buy the supplies and I'd well, keep all the It worked cash, out last you know? time. Yeah, with, it those, out. with the glass yeah, yeah, right. out. yeah, that was it. I had to pay him back for that one. But that was it. And then, then I would like, this sounds terrible, but I, I would give give candies or gifts, and I just resell the stuff people gave me. Christmas, I go resell it, or forget a bag of candy. Yeah. I shouldn't sell candy at school, but I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I was here's a here's a bag of gum. A bag yeah. of ten cents is like five cents a piece or right. six pieces. Of my markup's big, baby. So uh, <laughs> did that, and then by the time I was thirteen, um, I'd, I'd accumulated some money, so I started going to auto auctions, and I started buying cars and buying one or you know usually one at a time, sometimes more, and did that. I think by the time I was old enough to drive, I had quite a number of cars and during that process about the same age 13 i went by a national home builder who was in the area that had four model homes and i said i'd like to cut your grass and i, I charged 15 dollars. this is like 19 like 78 dollars it's a lot of money that's a lot it's of like money yeah five bucks now yeah and he goes okay i'll do it and and then i realized i had a glass a grass allergy mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. i went to the so i found neighbor kids ah. who there's and i said you can cut the grass for me I'll pay you five dollars a lawn. Yeah. yeah, but you got to use your dad's lawnmower and gas. And I tell the dad, the dad's so thrilled they're not watching you know, yeah. cartoons. Just right. I get out there. So right. Saturday right. morning, I'd, I'd get the kids out cutting grass and I'd mark it up three x. So I'd yeah. tra- pay them five, charge fifteen. Right. And I was making ten dollars a yard. So then I try to get more yards. So then while they're cutting grass, I'd say I've got my crew over here. I can't imagine how hilarious it had to be. Like, <laughs> to 11, right, 12 right. years old, I've got my crew down right. here cutting yeah, you grass. You got the goonies. You look over there, and they're like, yeah. Yeah. you're yeah. saying yeah. right. little guys, too. Yeah. And, but it looked off like wildfire because everyone's like, watch the kids do the work. And I'm not sure how good of a job we did. We thought we did a good job, but who knows, right? And then I made thousands of dollars yeah. you know, while I was still, you know, before I was could drive. Yeah, I paid cash for cars. bought my first Mercedes for cash when I was 18. You know, Bob did my first shopping center when I was in college. So it was just the next thing. Yeah. And it's and it's not that it's just incremental steps. And then and then you are only going to achieve as much as you believe you can accomplish. And I tell people, give yourself permission to dream. And you watch. If I say I could show you how to do X in in a, in a year, the first thought we all have is why we can't do it. Mm-hmm. I have these other obligations, or I've got this, or you don't know the background I have. You don't know my limiting thoughts, or you don't know your thoughts are all that limits you. Mm-hmm. You know, since we're made in Christ's image, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so we have we're creative. We have a lot of energy. Right. You look at. The, I think the re, there, there's never been a better time to be in business than right now. Anything I want to look up, I can find on YouTube. How do I start a business? How do I do this? How do I have borrow money? How do I? It's all available. And if you look at the life of the average person, even the more impoverished people today. They have more access to transportation, health care, and communication than John D. Rockefeller had. Yeah. He's the richest man in the world. Right. So we have tremendous opportunity. And if we take a chance it doesn't work out, our, our things not working out is not as bad as it was historically. Yeah. Think about things right. that work out in the 1700s. I mean, you're right. bad. Right. Things that work out now, it's like, hey, I still have a cell phone. I yeah. still can go to these things. So not it's, not, it's not that bad. Right. Yeah. Right. Eric, here's what I want to know. There are lots of kids that had a lemonade stand. There are quite a few kids that had uh, a, a lawn mowing business, even some that employed some of their friends, right? Mm-hmm. It's a couple of things that we have in common. I've been right. both of those things, <laughs> yeah. um, but not quite as big as you. I had two friends that worked for me, but it sounds like you had a bigger empire than I did. <laughs> um, so, but, and there's some people then that, that go on and maybe they buy a rental home or something, but you went lemonade stand, making belts, 
building a lawn care empire, then building a shop or buying or somehow managing a shopping center. And now you've got these huge office high rises. You've got multiple top golf locations. You've got a couple of jets. What, what is different about you, your actions, your mindset, your resources that, that didn't, you didn't hit the same ceiling that most people do. You just keep busting through them. I, I look at the next challenge I love to be motivated. And I also, to think I haven't had failures would be wrong. Mm. So if people look at me and said, oh, he never does. He never makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's just not true. And you've got to be able to eat failure. You have to learn from it, but not, would not grovel in it. Mm. You know, I failed. This was wrong. Economy changed. Interest rates changed. That's going to happen to everybody. But then how do you learn from it? How do you move on? And how do you keep? keep pushing ahead. So that's the difference. It's like, it's, are you, did you fail or are you a failure? Mm. I failed. I am not a failure. That does right. not define it's me. No more than my success. Rather than a person Correct. or a personality. Correct. Yeah. And if you allow your success to define you, then when you have something that doesn't work, then now you're, now you're lost as a person. So where's your identity stand? Mm -hmm. And I do it because it's fun. I love I love the intellectual challenge. I love the pushing ahead. I love giving back and motivating, seeing people's lights turn on. Of like, I can do this too. You know, it's amazing to give people opportunities and see them grow into it. Many people, more than half, you give an opportunity, they they take it for granted, or they were expectant, or I deserve that. You know, there's not a gratitude. I tell people your your altitude will never exceed your gratitude. Mm. You know, so be grateful, be happy. And, and, and live your best life. And it, it, life is so short. And people die with the music in them. And I, heard, I read something the other day, and it said, most people die when they're between 20 and 30, but they're not buried till they're 80. Wow. Because their dreams died. Hmm. And what is it that would ignite your dream within you to give you permission to dream and then take steps boldly toward that. And when there are setbacks, not if, when there are setbacks, you view them as learning opportunities to persevere further or to find other people to give you ideas or input, but just keep pushing toward the goal. And maybe you pivot, maybe you change, but you, you have the, 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 the focus of tenacity. Talk to us about one of those failures. Like we, we see the the shiny exterior of Eric Weir and we say, wow, he's an amazing success. And you are. Um, but we maybe don't don't see some of those failures that you've actually learned from and overcome. So tell us about a, a failure and what you learned from it. I have two I'll share. One was I was very active in martial arts and I had a head instructor by the name of Chuck Norris. And he was uh, he would come through town. He had you know, multiple studios and I failed my black belt test. And in that, front of Chuck? He was not at that test. Okay. Yeah, but I did okay. fail my black belt test. Right. He was the one before me to rotate through, so sadly yeah. not in front of that one. But what ended up happening through the process is I had learned, somebody told me, that they love to see, his system loves to see a failure somewhere along the line in your training to see how you handle failure. And most people quit when they fail. Mm. Or they get mad if they had a bad test or that was a bad judge, or yeah. this didn't go right. You right. begin to blame other people. And if you accept, like, well, how could I improve from this? It's better. And that's what they wanted to see in that Chuck Norris system. That how do you improve upon that? And and they that per, and then for me, I was told later, and I don't think I failed because they wanted to teach me a lesson. I Maybe I just wasn't ready, right? But I failed, but I, I, I received it the proper way. 
And that was like, and they said, well, that's what Mr. Norse looks for is for people who fail and they have a setback and then they, they learn from it and push through. Another setback, a failure that I had was in the Great Recession where I was offered 20% of this big real estate project just to personally guarantee it. And I'd like, how dumb are these people? Just to personally guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I did that. The Great Recession happened. Lending changed, and we ended up having to sell it in a big loss. And the millions of dollars I was going to make became millions of losses. Mm-hmm. And it was about a $5 million loss. You know, $5 million of cash plus $5 million of loss. And, uh, and a partner and I, four partners, two went bankrupt and two didn't. Uh, worked a deal out with the bank to pay them over time. And we just said, we're not here to welch. We, we said we'd do it. We made, you know, yep. it is what it is. We're here to work it out. And we did. Um, and that was a big setback. But people all the time said, I hope you learned your lesson. I hope you did this. Never do that again. You know, the same thing with us, the black belt. Oh, they're, they're bad. The strikers are bad. It's, they just want more money. They're testing fee. Or my first time, you know, you, you have a bad cl- uh, course. It's the professor's stinks and all that. And when I, t- I spoke to a Furman class uh, recently, and I said, one of the best things you can ever do, and I said, I'm going to say something that a lot of men have heard, it's your fault. And they're like, what? It's your fault. What does that mean? You don't even know me. I said, well, it's your fault. You're exactly where you are today because of the decisions you've made, the books you've read, and the people you associate with. So it's your fault. I said, oh, wow. I said, but that's the good news because you're not a victim. It's you. That's right. If I'm blaming my friends, my family, my point of origin, my education, my anything, then I then then I'm something I'm allowing something to hold me back. But if it's my fault, then I can take ownership of it. And if I need to make change, I can make change. But I no longer I'm no longer a victim. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away is fight this the spirit of entitlement and and look for the spirit of gratitude and the attitude that you can learn from everyone you meet, you can learn something from. Yeah. How can you Talk to someone who has a mindset. Uh, I, I think of a, you mentioned Furman University, and of course, I love all those people across town over there. But there might be a lot of people who have a mindset that they deserve something, and maybe they're not learning and growing at the rate you think necessary to keep succeeding. How do you help someone, or what would you say to someone? They may not be in your circle. What would you say to someone who? doesn't realize how hard work and growth is necessary. And they're not learning what they need to learn when they have those lessons come hit them. Well, what I tell people is really life hits you lots of ways. So mm-hmm. to me, I look at it as a wheel. And uh, your faith is the is our belief system. You may not be a religious person, but you believe something. Okay, Whatever that is, is the center. And then now that comes your, your family, your fitness, your finance, your friends. Those are the five Fs. And, and to the extent you ignore one area, the, the that area will consume you in the end. You, you, you see you're out of 10, you're two in fitness. Well, that's fine. You can do that for a while. But in your 60s, that's gonna, you're going to spend all your time trying to get your health back. You can ignore family, and that's fine for a while. But then later you're trying to restore relationship. You can ignore friends. You can ignore finances. You see where I'm going with that. So I tell people life gives you success leaves clues, and setbacks leave clues as well. So if you're not having the result you want to have, it leaves clues. You know, what is it? Maybe I slept 45 minutes late today. Maybe I decided to consume a lot of alcohol. And and, and maybe I've decided to be around people who make me feel better about my situation but don't challenge me. Maybe, you know, and I tell somebody, just because your mom thinks you're good at something doesn't mean you are. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. everybody needs a mom, right? Sure. You're the best ever. And that's what you want. It's good to have those people in your life. But it's good to have people be honest and say, hey, you know, you're just not all that. 
you know, you need help in this area. But all of us have areas we're excellent at. And all of us have areas we're very, we could be fall short. Sometimes we try to put a lot of energy in areas we're just not that good at. And we may never be that good at. Like, I would love to play piano, but I'm not disciplined in that area to practice every day. But I would love to play piano. But I don't really want to or I'd make time to do it. And it's the same thing. So if I find something I'm good at, do more of that. And some people go to college or, or go to careers because somebody else wants them to do that. But it's not where their passion is. It's not where their talent is. And that lead, can lead to a frustrating life. We have a podcast here about growth. And that's what Tim's always talking about. And he has mentioned a story that I think you need to retell just so I can make sure it's true. So <laughs> it's about personnel. We're a lot of uh, growth-minded entrepreneurs here who are adding people to our team and communicating our vision to a group of people. And that may be customers or prospective team members. So there is a story, I believe, about how you hire people now. And it's different than the way you used to hire people because you're looking for maybe the best. But a lot of times, because we talked about this earlier, hey, I may not have the capital, but I am looking for the best people. How do you approach that? It depends. And depending on how I answer that, it could be I could have even morphed even further since that conversation. So. I've learned a lot from a lot of people. I've learned from Ace Greenberg. Ace Greenberg ran Bear Stearns. Okay, Bear Stearns is a major financial firm. They fell apart in the yep. 2008-9 period of time. But he said, I look for people who have an average education with an above-average hustle, hmm. somebody who has something to prove, okay? Not necessarily the Ivy League who who had a certain way, though there's Ivy Leagues that worked hard and stuff of like that. Of yeah. course. But it, that's what he looks for is hustle. And you can train, you can train a skill. It's hard to train an ethic, mm. whether it's work, moral, ethical, anything like that. I can train somebody how to do something. I can't train how to hustle or the work. So that's something I look for. And I look for somebody who's uh, grateful. I look for somebody who's had adversity. I always have been the first question I ask everybody is, what's your biggest setback you've ever faced? And I hear just ridiculous answers, you know, like, I got to be on a test. So I'm like, come on, be right. real with me. Yeah. Come on. I want to hear about what have happened. Your parents foreclosure. Are you were beaten by a relative? Or, I, mean, I mean, give me something. That's nothing. Right. Right. If that's your biggest obstacle, then I mean, I'm, you know, you're probably not going to. Right. Yeah, be prepared for the first round here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So I look for obstacles, look for tenacity. I look for, for, for assuredness. I look for uh, integrity. And uh, Warren Buffett says this, he goes, of all the, he said, you want to have an educated person with integrity, but I would take an uneducated person with integrity because an educated person without integrity will destroy you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they know all the angles yep. and they have no integrity. So integrity, uh, energy, and, and I want somebody who's focused, who, who wants to win. Somebody who wants to win, it's hard, it's hard to overcome. Eric, we could keep asking you questions all day. This could easily be a three or five or 10 part episode for <laughs> oh, yeah. sure. But I want to make sure we get to your book. And mm -hmm. if somebody says, wow, this guy is amazing. I want to learn more. Where should they look to learn sure, more about sure, Eric? Sure, sure, sure. So two things. I, uh, I spell my name as Eric with a K. So it's E-R-I-K. Last name's Weird, W-E-I-R. So it's ericweir.com. You can contact me there. Uh, second is I wrote a book that I, I think is it can be transformative to your life because it talks about where you are emotionally first, you know, physically, uh, what limiting thoughts we have, because you've got to get meet you where you are, take an excess where you're, be honest, and then you can build from there, give you steps to build and make massive change quickly. And that's called Who's Eating Your Pie? 
It's available at you know Barnes and Noble. I saw it in the Atlanta airport the other day. But yep. It's yeah, available okay. different places right. and Amazon. It's called Who's Eating Your Pie. And a third thing for all your entrepreneurs out there, if you want to, I'm giving away thirty thousand dollars to encourage entrepreneurism in South Carolina. Addition to that, I'm giving away some personal mentoring and office space to, to winners. So I'm looking for people who who are looking for capital uh, and are looking for coaching to take their business to the next level. So you have to receive less than five hundred thousand of funding, but it could be a startup. I've got everything from my, like three or four little girls selling cookies. They're in the mix and watch okay. out. They're tough competitors. All right. And I've got people who have a company who hasn't raised a half a minute or trying to do something. It was an inventor, a, a makeup company. So whoever you are, I'm, I'm wanting to meet you. Having this contest, you can, you can, you can go to my website, ericweird.com, and get links to the 30K Power Up. Or you can Google 30K Power Up Greenville or 30K Power Up South Carolina and learn how to enter. And you enter a kind of a shark tank style yeah. uh, video and a business plan. And we seek to give coaching and I, and feedback to, to contestants as well to help them sharpen the saw. And the idea is to pay it forward. Then they can, they'll create jobs. They can create, they can oftentimes break out of, of patterns or habits or change lifestyles. So it's a lot of, of positive things that we're, we're trying to do through entrepreneurism. Awesome. Very good. And what's it. next for you specifically? You got the book, you got the entrepreneur power up, but what yeah. do we see from Eric in the next two to three? Weeks? I've been working for five years at my master's at Harvard. So oh, I just finished okay. two classes. I have my final presentation tonight at one. So okay. I have one class left. Thank you. And then, and then I'll be, and I'm trying to graduate with honors. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm trying, I'm cum laude. It looks like to, to have one more class if I can keep it up. So that, that, that was my next thing. It was my thing. And I did that because I wanted to uh, have the credentials to teach at a university level. Hmm. And, uh, and, so I wanted to be able to, to do that and be a guest lecturer. I do that some now, but I want to be able to do it more. And then I'm going to start another book in, in October as well. Love to Very hear cool. it. Well, good luck to you. I Thank hope you. by the time this comes out, we've got a new graduate, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll we see. shall yeah, see. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much. Eric, thanks for being with us. I've learned a lot this time as well as previous conversations we've had. Let's stay in touch. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, and thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you as well. All right. Thanks for listening to today's Grow With Tim podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to show us some love by following us here and on our other social media platforms. You'll find all the links at growwithtim.com.